listening to Mastering Retention, presented by UserWise. Hi, everyone. Uh, welcome to the Mastering Retention podcast. Uh, today, we are really excited to have Henrik Oskarsson on with us uh, from Fun Plus. Uh, Henrik, would you like to uh, just give a little bit of your background? Sure. Um, so I, I started out as a software engineer. Um, that, that was my passion from, from I, I actually, so it, it's sort of uh, re reversed. I started playing video games and got into coding for video games. But since I'm from Iceland, there's not a lot of opportunities for uh, video game developers there. So uh, I sort of accepted the, the fact that I wouldn't be working in video games. Uh, <laughs> it would be more in the, in, in the business, uh, business to business or something like that. Uh, but, but then uh, a couple of friends of mine started a company in Iceland, which was doing uh, social games uh, for Facebook and other networks where the idea was to create games where people could play together. And that was in 2005. And we did a lot of interesting things uh, with different companies that wanted to do. There was there were so many things that people wanted to try out at that, at that time. So it was very educating. Um, but then I, uh, since then, I've, I've, I've been at Singa as a senior producer there. Uh, I was a production director at uh, King and then I was um, in, a in another startup called uh, Stopper Studios doing Legend of Soulguard. Mm -hmm. And now I'm here at FunPlus in Stockholm, uh, where we're creating two uh, brand new games. That's, that's quite the journey. Would you say that the, the temperatures and stuff are pretty similar between Stockholm and Iceland? Or It's actually the weather in... Um, so, so Stockholm is like a gaming hub. Uh, but when it comes to like weather and things like that, it's a lot better in Stockholm. <laughs> <laughs> the thing with Iceland is that it's very windy and, uh, yeah, the, the wind and, and the, and the rain that comes from, from, uh, up and it, it's sort of the, the, it rains upwards in Iceland. Ah, so it encourages you to stay home and play video games, I guess. Yeah, quite a, <laughs> quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah. And. I remember Nintendo, uh, uh, the the original the SNES, uh, Super Nintendo back in the day. Uh, that was just always after school. Uh, me and my friends would uh, walk to one of their friends' place. We was probably like a few uh, mm -hmm. few kilometers every day <laughs> just to just to go go check out the latest uh, game that someone had uh, bought or someone's uncle had bought for him while he was abroad. Well, I think that's really what gaming is about. You know, um, I was uh, talking to someone the other day about, you know, what is retention? And I think it's just that like passion of, you know, I, I remember when I was a kid, you know, growing up, there were like Starcraft 2 and, and Diablo 2, or I think it was regular Starcraft actually at this point. Um, but, you know, I'd, I'd be in school and me and my buddy would be like planning out what we're going to do and, and thinking about the game and can't wait for school to get over so we can head over to his house and, and play again and stuff. And I think, you know, the more you can get that excitement in for your game or people are like, you know, eagerly awaiting to play it, the better you're going to be. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think I think well, from a data perspective, retention is just a metric to tell you that people come back for something, uh, like they they come back again and again. But um, we have had these these dis discussions. I remember uh, at King there was a there was a huge discussion about like what is retention? How how or how how do we quantify fun? Because um, mm. that, that's what that's what we want. We want to make fun games, yep. and that was one of our uh, sort of directions that we want. <laughs> like how do <laughs> how do we how do we measure fun? And uh, th really, the the only way for us to right now, at least, to to uh, uh, get those into a quantifiable state is um, to measure the retention if people are coming back. Mm. Uh, but that does not mean that the game is necessarily fun. It's sort of a derived uh, 
uh, <laughs> data from retention, but it could be something else. Like, um, it could be that the game is uh, spammy in a sense that it keeps people <laughs> uh, very retained for a few days and then it uh, yeah. doesn't hold them for long term. And so there's a lot of, uh, yeah. Uh, it, one of the things that I've been most interested about when it comes to retention and making games is it's always like this, um, uh, the left and right side of your brain. It's like there's the data part and then there's the art side. And in order to create something truly unique and fun and interesting, you need to have the art side, something that like wants to create something. Mm-hmm. And and the data set is pre, is basically something that is try, trying to guide you. And I I, I remember I was I was um, watching this uh, video about uh, uh, wars. It was the war story series, I think, and it was about the guys who started Diablo. Mm. And it was very interesting that they had they had talked to around twenty publishers or something with the original Diablo idea, and they they'd all said no because RPGs were no longer selling. <laughs> so it's sort of they had data that showed okay this doesn't work, but still it did work. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it, there there is a lot of um, art and finesse and like there there are other things that come into play that we can't quantify yet. Yeah. So and, I- and hopefully we never will. <laughs> That's that's what makes it fun. So I I know your studio is currently working on you know one or two kind of games that are you know gearing up to go into soft launch and stuff. You know what kind of approach do you take of of kind of blending that data side with the art side mm-hmm. of you know launching a new title, figuring out you know what you should or shouldn't do. So there there's a there's a multitude of things that we try to uh, do in order to get as good of an idea of the state of our game and what, what our game is. So originally when you pitch a game, you you have this target audience. Like mm-hmm. this is the audience that we're going for and this is the persona that we think uh, is going to, because you're not necessarily making that the game for yourself. Right. You might enjoy it, but it's not necessarily something that uh, is going to be, you're not the end consumer. Mm-hmm. So what we try to do is make a game for for that person and and for me making a team that cares about making high quality games is is very important because that goes into the uh the art and craft side of it like uh, ma- making sure that uh, we have the highest quality possible but then it is also just uh trying to do it in uh how should I put it? Like the most, uh, it's like a step, but it's not a waterfall. It's more like an iterative cycle. Uh, <laughs> but there's always going to be like this, uh, like what's our what's our goal? Uh, uh, like our first goal would be to look at retention. We want to see if the retention is high. And we want to understand the retention. We want to understand why some levels are um stopping players while others are uh, you know, players are breezing through and so we want to understand the data and make sure that uh, we're making the right assumptions uh, of our game is is the target audience right did we choose a, um, we might be targeting the the original audience but is there another audience that is even better so we mm-hmm. Uh, even earlier than soft launch, we will be testing the game against different types of audiences just to um, to check uh, have we done this game for the right pe- for the people we intended to, and in the in the end, has that changed? Because we might have that assumption, but in the end, it turns out that uh, it's not the twenty to thirty year olds that like this game. It's more the fifty plus. So. <laughs> then you have then you have a, a a new business decision to make. Is that good enough? Or, or yeah. and it it might be that we just okay that's that's fine. Um, uh, but there there are a lot of different things that we we want to see. It's the it's the onboarding of the game. Is it a, is it as good as it can be? Um, is there any friction in the game that uh, because 
a game is supposed to be fun. There is, it, it, it isn't supposed to have uh, dozens of questions that distract you from what you're doing. It's like when you're when you're purchasing on Amazon, Amazon doesn't ask you 20 questions before you uh, <laughs> right. check out. It's it's just they, they have a, they have the one by click and it's for a reason because yep. you don't want that friction. You want to do what you it's the uh, it's it's the use case. You want to do what you came there to do. You came there to play. Mm. And and we 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 want to make sure that you can do that as quickly as possible, and and uh, the the tech and everything supports uh, a, a very fast uh, well user experience UX tech and everything comes together and allows you mm-hmm. to 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 go through that experience. Um, but in the soft launch phase itself, I would say we try to bring in, so that's the point where we know more about our audience. Uh, yep. And that's where we, we, we test out both user acquisition, uh, our user acquisition tra- strategies, along with uh, retention. And so it's sort of like a fine tuning stage mm-hmm. where, where you're trying to see, okay, do, do all the knobs and levers have the right settings? And, uh, do we have enough content for at least three months? Because we don't want to release something uh, that goes out there and and then two everyone weeks later, <laughs> yeah, everyone consumes it and we're we're uh, trying to chase our tails. Yeah, that totally makes sense. When you're doing a soft launch, do you typically think about live ops at that point, like testing, you know, what events look like or you know, special offers or things, or is that further down the road kind of a thing? So I I see it. I see it as something that comes further down the road, but it's not it's not because we wouldn't like to test it out. It's just um, it's all a matter of how quickly can you soft launch and if you need to build in into it all the tools and, and features mm-hmm. that uh, come with live ops. And of course you need to hire people to take care of the live ops. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it's it's easier to first make the case that yes, this game works as it is, and then build on top of it the live ops. Yeah, so generally the the retention is kind of the most important thing. Would you say that's the primary goal with any game that you have? Definitely. Uh, um, it's a very recurring theme that, that uh, and, and it goes back to the fun. Like if something isn't fun, then people will stop using it and <laughs> they definitely won't pay for it. And I think this is the, one of the reasons why uh, like fixing retention is very hard. And that yep. goes back to like fixing something that's not fun and making it fun is very hard. Uh, but fixing monetization on something, that's a lot, I'm not going to say easy, but it's, <laughs> but you, you have, we have cases of games that have had very low monetization and have increased that quite a lot. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I mean, you, you can see, for example, with, uh, I think it's Candy Crush now that uh, they've been losing a lot of users uh, on a yearly basis, but they've increased the monetization of the game. So they're, they're making more money on less users. So it's, um, so it, it goes to show that if uh, the retention is the the cornerstone of of that house that you're building, yeah, that definitely makes sense, and is something that I often say too. You know, it, you can't really improve upon a game that just isn't fun. I mean, you could make maybe make it slightly a little bit more fun, but it's still probably going to be you know not very much fun. But if you have a really fun game, you can always find ways to, you know tweak the levers and add some monetization in. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's a very complex process and uh, there are so many details in creating a great game. And it might seem like it's a very simple thing, but when you see the end result of the final product, you, you look at it and you're like, well, that's, that's not a very um, intricate piece of software. But but uh, if if you look at the process that people have gone through to to make that experience what it is, they might have made 
tons of different systems that they decided to scrap or change or um, they might, might have taken three art styles and removed them and there's a there's a tons of things be- behind the end result. Yeah, thinking about retention a little bit more, um, which I, I love talking about retention. Um, what would you say, so, you know, obviously it seems like fun is the core driver for at least shorter term retention. Probably you're like day one to seven, maybe day 30. Um, what do you think is it the primary driver of long-term retention? Do you think that it's still fun or do you think there are other aspects that, you know, drive people's desire or ability to stick around till like day 180 or day 365 or beyond? I think if you don't have content, it's like a, it's like a show, like, uh, like you're watching a, a season one, two and three. Mm-hmm. Like uh, if there isn't content coming through, you will stop looking at it. And if it's always the same content, you will also stop uh, consuming it. So you, there's, there's, there's um, constant want for content and content can come in the, ter- in, in the, in the way of um, you, you can have hundreds of levels that come in new blockers, new uh, mm-hmm. game mechanics, you can have uh, live operations in there that uh, have competitions. You, you can have social in there like Toon Blast where you have uh, people connecting together and, and uh, doing tournaments together or competing in some sense or um, socializing. So add, adding that content for people who are further down the, the, the content road is key to to maintaining users' appetite for for the game, um, mm. and it's going to be different based on like what what game you have. Uh, for for games like Candy, the the it's always going to be the, for them. It's always going to be the levels, like having enough levels for you to play. Right. No, that that makes sense. Um. Do you think social is important for th- some things? Like I, I know personally, like um, when I was playing Clash Royale or Clash of Clans, I felt like the clan depending on me for clan wars kept me coming back on many days where I probably wouldn't have picked up the game otherwise, but I didn't want to disappoint, you know, the people in my clan. Yeah, the social obligation. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. that, definitely. I, 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 I play Clash Royale quite a bit. Um, um, but the, the funny thing there is I am not in a clan. <laughs> I used to be in a clan. Yep. Um, and, and I, I just felt like it was, it was too demanding for me. Like, you know, <laughs> <laughs> like having all these people, uh, like, uh, yeah. Uh, asking me to, like, you, you have, you always have to, if you're in a clan, you need to contribute. So, yep. um, but but I still play the game, even despite that. Uh, despite so, I th- I think it's a good option as well because it it gives you another angle to play the game. Mm-hmm. Like now you can because it uh, another angle to play the meta game because now you can connect with people and and you can share strategies and you can look at other people's decks. You can watch see what people, what cards people are asking for. And you're like, oh, okay, since he's asking for that, that must mean something, he's, he's using it as something. So there's a lot of uh, things that connect to the metagame. And what I find interesting is how, how Clash, well, both Clans and Royale have managed to make this, the social aspect of the game very simple but also very strong part of the game. Mm-hmm. You, 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 you sometimes look at these uh, large strategy games and you go into, into um, the guild and there's a, like the stream of information that comes through it is, is, is immense. Like you, <laughs> it overwhelms you, yep. uh, but, it, but so, that's, that's uh, some people's cup of tea, I guess, but, um, but I think the social part is definitely something that has been 
I'm not going to say holy grail. It, it's more of like, it, <laughs> it, it, it's been something that people have believed quite a lot in for a long time. Uh, and I would say Tomb Blast is one of those games that shows you the the need for it or shows you yep. the value of it. Uh, so, so I'm I'm a I'm a firm firm believer in in social, but it's the way you implement it is going to be key. The the execution of it's going to be key to any developer that tries it. Um, at least for for it, it it can, yeah, it can be tricky, and it, it it's a lot of effort to make uh, a good social element in your game. Mm. I remember watching a presentation by King couple months ago. I don't know if this feature is actually coming or if it's released or not. Um, I haven't really played Candy Crush Saga in a long time, but um, they were talking about how they were surveying some users about, you know, what would make Candy Crush more fun. And one of the recurring themes that kept coming up was I would love to do like head to head play levels against my friends to see, you know, who's actually better at Candy Crush. Um, And so based on that feedback, they were, you know, exploring adding that feature in. Um, and I was like, wow, that, you know, could be a powerful social feature. I don't know, you know, if that would be more of like, hey, we're both sitting on the bus, like let's play Candy Crush against yeah. each other or if it's, you know, something else. But um, either way, I think any anytime you can have some social drivers where, you know, you get your friend to pull out Candy Crush so you can play together, you know, it's going to be super powerful. Yeah, I, I, they, they definitely, I'm pretty sure that, somewhere they have a dev build of a pvp version of a candy crush <laughs> like it has it has to be that they're at some hack hackathon or something <laughs> someone put that together and i think that that's i think that's very interesting i mean uh, that's something that nintendo games have been doing uh, quite a bit ha- having mm-hmm. these uh, like multiplayer not necessarily uh, online multiplayer it's more like you, you play against your friends uh, with the with the handsets and things yeah um so i'm yeah I, th- I think that is it's very in- interesting i would like to see more of it um bluetooth has been has been looked at i know for for some time and i there have been games that have had bluetooth as a feature like bluetooth connectivity but I'm, it's not like when you when you look at the scale of these games in, in terms of like uh, DIUs, having having maybe uh, like zero point zero one percent of them <laughs> playing playing on Bluetooth yeah. uh, doesn't quite answer the cost of developing it. So it's yeah it's sometimes hard to uh, just because phones as as handsets aren't it's not as intuitive to use them like mm-hmm. you would use your nintendo switch or yeah that does make sense i've heard a lot about 5g you know thinking of kind of new technologies and stuff do you think that's going to have much of an impact on you know gaming in the next year or two like what it what additional things do you think you'll be able to do over 5g that you can't with like a 4g connection right now so I think what what we've um, if I look because I'm 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 getting old uh, when it comes to <laughs> the the average age in this industry I guess um, when I started having stable uh, connections between clients was very difficult uh, the just the tech stack wasn't there mm-hmm. uh, plus plus the infrastructure but now it seems like we're at a point where uh, stable PVP connections are there. Like we we have that, we have that. We also have um, apparently games that you 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 get the game from the app store and then you download half a gigabyte or something, uh, and it takes you uh, thirty minutes or an hour. I, I don't know, but for five G will definitely make make that even less so it's instead of that hour it's going to be um six minutes or something mm-hmm. so that will be very interesting to see uh, because working with mobile has always been um 
you're always developing for the constraints that you have, right? whether it's the handset, uh, handset constraints, uh, memory, CPU, storage, uh, graphics, so and battery, of course. Uh, so now, so now you might have a different um, option to it, where you, where you don't need to think about the bandwidth anymore as much. Is it like, for example, it will. I think it will definitely change over the air downloads for both Google and Apple. Uh, I think they allow you to download over the air if it's 150 megabytes or something now. Mm. So if if you, if we look at 5G as 10 times more than than we're talking 1.5 gigabyte would be the <laughs> over the air. So yeah. I think it's going to revolutionize a lot of things, mm. and it's only going to increase the quality of the games and uh, bring more console type experiences to uh, to the to the mobile games. Is that? Yeah, that's that's I mean, really exciting. I'm excited. I think to, so. To see I, I think so too. Bigger, bigger, you know, games where you can actually like spend some serious time and stuff in there. And I think I think it also opens up a lot of um, uh, opportunities for uh, when I was when I was playing Baldur's Gate, uh, the first game, and the Baldur's Gate two and. Mm -hmm. um, Icewind Dale, all those, I can't remember all those games, what they were called. Yeah. Uh, but those, those were RPGs that were like, they were big and heavy. Yeah. Um, and I, I can see something for the mobile where you're now able to, like the reason they were cool was because they were big and heavy and they had this um, like epicness to them. So I think like when you, when you're able to bring in uh, a huge AAA production type of game to a mobile, <laughs> that, I think that's going to be really cool. But I, I don't know who's going to put be the first one to uh, invest in that. But yeah, it is going to be cool. Well, in case you want to relive your your childhood fun, there, I think all of those actually are ported to mobile. It's like ten bucks each or something like that. And you yeah, know. a gigabyte game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the the problem is they they the the interface isn't made for mobile. It is a little small, and <laughs> the graphics, you know, are a little dated. But you can get a little nostalgia from it. I, I downloaded it for a plane ride one time, so it was fun. Yeah, uh, yeah switching gears a little bit. So uh, I hear people talking a lot about. Uh, player data and how to effectively use that um, for let's say like a new product manager who's just kind of coming into this role um, obviously they've heard a lot about data but um, maybe they don't necessarily understand like how do I effectively come in and be a data-driven product manager um, do you have any like examples of you know things you've done in the past where um, you were able to use data to identify Hey, this is a problem, and then come up with like a, a solution that could actually help to fix that. Kind of using a data-driven approach. So, well, now I have to think about <laughs> think about things. Um, I I would sort of think of it from the perspective. So, I'm a big fan of um, lean startup or um, whatever philosophy is behind that. Uh, mm -hmm. And just by like working on assumptions and trying to, so it doesn't necessarily have to be when, when, when you're thinking about um, player, player data, it doesn't necessarily have to be the, the, the huge tableau, um, the, the, the database with like thousand millions of tracking calls and all that stuff. You, it, it's sometimes it's best to figure out. Uh, so, what are your assumptions about your game? And work from those assumptions and, and ask yourself, how do I disprove or uh, or sort of prove this this assumption? So that that would be your first first um, line of line of thinking is like, what are my assumptions? 
Mm. What am I assuming about my game right now? And some of those things are very hard to identify because you, you, you almost don't look at it as an assumption because you, you just say like, it's a best practice. It's something everyone does, but it's yeah. still an assumption. And, and try to find out what's the easiest path or easiest test to perform in order to uh, disprove or prove that assumption and work your way from that. So I, I like that approach because it doesn't it it doesn't uh, sort of lock you in with only looking at data from tracking on your phone uh like user driven tracking mm-hmm. it also it also of course you will use that at some point but it also <laughs> allows you to sort of think of out outside the box and just okay what if we just uh put an ad out on craigslist for people to come and take a look at look at a game and uh, just monitor that. So you can do all types of tests, uh, and sometimes you don't need to do the the, the huge uh, user acquisition test. But um, mm. I mean, what one of the hardest things to to test, and I'm uh, and I, I mean, art. How do you test art style? <laughs> And that that's been one of the things that we are working on. Like, how do we how do we get good input on uh, from users on art? I mean, if if we tell people to just rate something on a scale, um, we might not get necessarily the input that would help us create a better art style. Mm-hmm. It will only it will only tell us that yeah that it it sucks or it it it's it's good, uh, but getting like uh, people to talk about the art and talk about what they feel when they see things and, and sort of run through it, that helps us to sort of understand where people are coming from when they look at what they're seeing. Like, what is it that makes you feel like this is not good or that this is awesome? What, what's that, uh, what feeling are we like uh, trying to uh, uh, like it comes up when when people look look at our art stuff, and I, I would say a good um, a good example of uh, why this is still hard is that like Hollywood has been doing focus focus groups for decades, and they still get it wrong. <laughs> so it's um, it's something that I I I really. I'm trying to improve and I know it's not perfect, but we, we try to do a lot of like concept testing, uh, mm. t- testing out w- w- what uh, type of uh, like different paths of con- concepts uh, and try not to muddy the waters too much because it, as soon as you attach imagery to something, people as- immediately have some sort of uh, pre-made ideas about it mm-hmm. uh, so it's so it's very hard to try to <laughs> approach people and not approach their uh, prejudice i guess yeah a picture is worth a thousand words um, yeah. I, I remember hearing uh people almost kind of flaming animal crossings art style and like you know males are never going to play this like you know older audiences are never going to play this and yet but it's sold over like 10 million copies or something like that just kind of exploded. And I know so many, you know, guys and stuff that are playing and I even have it. Um, I, I also play it with my daughter. Um, <clears throat> but it, it's interesting. Yeah. Looking at the art form at first, like, I don't know that that necessarily would have been my first choice. Um, one, one thing that I've heard of uh, for testing art styles, and I don't know if you guys have ever tried this, and I can't remember the company's name offhand, but I think they let you like create an ad and kind of like a dummy app store page. And then you can like test to see, okay, if I actually run yeah, this, store, you know, store, video. It's called Store Maven, I think. Store Maven. Yeah. Uh, just to see like, will people actually go to the app store and, and download this just based on like the art and the screenshots and stuff that I have. Yeah. Yeah. That, um, and that's something that's very, um, it's it's very useful for when you're looking at because you you can make ads and when you're acquiring users you can make ads that uh, like everyone would click on because it's a clickbait but when they go to the store 
they're like, oh, okay, <laughs> it was a clickbait, so I'm not <laughs> downloading the game. Yep. So when, when you have Store Maven sort of uh, with that, you can actually see better what the, what the true conversion of people that mm. install your app. So that, I would say that that's a better, um, uh, better way to view uh, the results of your uh, click-through testing. So it's, it's always going to be a funnel that you need to look at. And even after people have installed the app, you need to look at, okay, but did they, what, why did they stay? Uh, did they stay for just a couple of days? Did they uh, just install, check it out, and then, oh, it wasn't what I thought it was? So it, it it comes to the how you how you how you represent your game like it, yeah. is the is the ad represented rep, representing what the final product is and is the user then happy with what he sees when he goes into the game? Yeah. No, I think that's one of the reasons why I think playables have done so well in recent years, just because if you're actually playing the core loop and you think it's fun enough to go and download the game, you're probably more likely to be interested in actually playing that game. I mean, there could be other things wrong with it and stuff, but if the core loop seems fun and then yeah. you go to download it because of that, you're probably going to be more likely to be engaged than if you see something that clicks, you know, clickbait you to the store and you download it anyways. And then it's something very, very different once you get in. Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, definitely. And, and depending on what game you are making, um, I mean, so, some of the games out there don't have high retention, uh, but they have uh, like early retention, but they have crazy long-term retention. Mm. So the, the, the users that actually go and play the game and like it, they stay for years. Um, yeah. So they're not looking for necessarily getting everyone to install. They, they just want those few people who are really interested in that game. Um, yeah. I mean, EVE, Eve Online, which is, uh, I think they're making a mobile game as well. But okay. that, uh, that, that, that game has been around since 2000 or something. Yeah. <laughs> 20, 20 years old. And it probably has has worst uh, first time uh, like early retention numbers <laughs> in the world but those who who stick around they stick around forever yeah i've i've heard of some pretty crazy stuff in that game i i never quite got into it um, but it's it's almost if you want to switch realities that's a, <laughs> that's a game <laughs> i have i have definitely heard some stories there so uh, switching gears a little bit more, you know, uh, as we kind of approach our time here, I'd, I'd love to just know uh, a little bit more about uh, all things Henrik. So um, what's your big dream for your career? You know, what trace would you like to leave in the world? Wow. The little questions. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the main reasons I, I'm... I'm doing so. There are two things that I'm doing with the studio in uh, in Stockholm uh, with Fumblos. The first first thing is I I I've been in the situation where um, I'm I'm working quite a lot and uh, all, like reaching that uh, burnout stage uh, where I'm 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 constantly. Thinking about work, um, you have all the gadgets and everything that peeps, and uh, like you're always connected to to work, and that's not a, a fun thing to be in. So I I wanted to make a, a workplace that was sane in that sense that we try to work very smart, we try to work very collaboratively and listen to each other. Um, and we try to have small teams that are so like good problem solvers, mm. and and so it, it's not as much about um, that part is not as much about the game itself, but it's more about yeah. the culture and and the workplace that we want to create. Of course, COVID nineteen came in there and and sort of took away the office part of it, <laughs> <laughs> but. Um, we've still been able to 
uh, I haven't seen any huge difference in, in uh, output uh, from people. So I, th I think it's about trusting people that you work with and having honest dialogues with people and um, and gen generally caring about the people you work with. I think that's uh, one thing I want to, I, I want to build something that, that uh, um, after I'm gone <laughs> from that uh, mm -hmm. studio, there, there will be others that uh, pick culture. up the mantle. Mm -hmm. Yeah, leave a culture there. Yeah. Uh, but of course, I always want to make the world a better place. Uh, you, you always feel like you're such a small uh, part of uh, any change that happens. But um, every time I see someone who's trying to uh, improve something, I, I try to support that person any way possible. Um, so it's it's not always about being the trailblazer, but also supporting those yeah. that are doing uh, the right uh, or do, doing the right fight or uh, fight, <laughs> fighting the I, right. Yeah, no, that that's amazing. Um, I I hear so much about just you know burnout in the industry, and I think it's so easy to do, especially you know once you get into like the the live op stage of a game where you know you're your game doesn't stop just because you happen to be sleeping, you know, something happens at 2 AM or, you know, on the holiday, like folks are still, you know, jumping into that and still checking in on things and stuff. So setting the right culture where you do encourage people to take that time to recharge, because I think when you are recharged and energized, you end up having better ideas, you know, for things anyway. So that's yeah. fantastic. And, and one, one of the things that often happens when you, when you're in a startup is, you you wanna you wanna first be successful and then think about the culture afterwards. <laughs> so sort of, and f what I've learned is that it doesn't work that way. You need to set the culture first. You you need to decide this is what we're about, and then uh, the rest will follow or not follow. But uh, I think most entrepreneurs will be more um appreciative of their time at a startup if they enjoyed the culture mm -hmm. that that was there in the first place and i know like you hear you hear a lot of stories about elon musk how how um how like he drives everyone like he, but that that's not what i'm talking about he he probably treats people with like uh with respect and everything mm -hmm. on a day-to-day -day basis and there's I, I don't know what the culture is but you you can drive a company and 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 make people hungry for success but you also need to look at like what are what are the things that we're not willing to sacrifice for that yep yeah i um I'm, I'm actually reading a book right now on how to turn your employees into mini CEOs, which is something I'm always trying to do. How do I empower folks to just really have the ownership and, you know, feel confident that, Hey, you know, this is your decision and I'm going to support you in it, you know, good or bad, you know, I trust you to do the right thing and, you know, to continue to empower them and, you know, people will make mistakes, but I think, as long as you're not making the same mistakes over and over again, like we can learn from those and continue to, to work and grow together. Um, yeah. yeah no, well, one of the things that uh, I try to do whenever I, whenever ever I'm doing an interview with someone or like um, a job interview, I try to ask that person, uh, what will make you uh, happy working like what what is it that will get you driven and like trying to understand what it is that that person loves doing and mm -hmm. and sort of note that down because then if we hire that person i want to make sure that i'm nurturing that uh part or that environment for that person that's a that's a great hiring tip i'll have to jot that down in my <laughs> my permanent notes i I have no experience as a as a hiring guru, but it's one it's one of those things that I wish someone had asked me, like what makes you tick, mm -hmm. and and then uh, would have sort of uh, uh, given into those like 
for me, like in many, many, many of the workplaces I've been in, just just having time to tinker or uh, time to do something different, uh, something that's not been planned for, uh, that would have made me perfectly happy. <laughs> so if someone would have said, yeah, okay, let's take uh, one day a week where you just do whatever you want, uh, tinker away. I love it. Um, what is the one recommendation that you'd give to product or live ops teams out there or aspiring product folks? Um, so one of the, one of the first things is, um, don't take something as, 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 as the truth. Like uh, the, there is not a single, like when I, when I started at, uh, at Singa, we had numbers and, uh, data and like we were doing things, but at some point you discover, oh, the way we did it three years ago was, was incorrect. Uh, and it gave us wrong, wrong numbers. Uh, so what, what I would sort of recommend is like, don't come in there, especially in this industry, don't come in into that industry thinking that everything has been solved because that's not the case. Uh, it's a very young industry. Uh, there's a lot of things that have been done right and a lot of things that need to be changed. So when you come in to this environment, you should be looking at, okay, doubting everything, like being being the uh, true skeptic, <laughs> sort of looking at things and being like, okay, why did, why, why did they decide to do it this way instead of that way? Uh, because that, that's the real, um, that's, that's the, the, the right way to approach it because there are so many things, so many decisions that get made just because. Like, lack of time or whatever uh, things get like uh, things get built on top of uh, <laughs> a lot of a lot of things that just happened and I, I was like stay curious stay skeptical uh, and always look for a better way to to prove or disprove something and mm. don't uh, one of the mo most difficult things is when you fall in love with an idea um, I, I love falling in love with ideas. I love falling in love with games that I play that I'm like, oh, this is just sweet. This is awesome. Uh, <laughs> and that's one of the things that keeps you, keeps you motivated. Uh, but also try to remember that you can get very blind when you're in love with something. So <laughs> it's the same in, 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 in real life and, uh, uh, and work. You, you need to be careful that, and, it, 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 sometimes you need to accept that okay, the the thing that I I was in love with wasn't the right thing. So uh, you need to be able to kill your babies and all that, um, all that bad stuff. And and so sometimes it it, it gets hard to like, um, go through that process of uh, having great ideas and and smashing them. And uh, but if you sort of go through the process and, and keep learning, like make sure that you learn from all the things that you fail at. Uh, because if you learn nothing from, from your failures or, or not, I wouldn't call it failures from your experiments. <laughs> if you don't learn anything from your experiments, uh, then you will repeat them again. Uh, and they won't be as valuable. So try to make, yeah. make sure that all the information that you get from everything you do is as much as possible. That's, that's a fantastic advice. Who inspires you? What books, newsletters, podcasts, or, or courses would you recommend that people follow and read, consume? So th this is actually a very, uh, yeah, this is, uh, so when it comes to books, I tend to read a lot of science fiction and uh, post-apocalyptic stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not going to recommend that, especially at this time. Um, but there is a podcast called uh, Philosophize This. Uh, so there, there's sometimes you, you're interested in, in, in a different field, but you don't really have the, the, the 
time to to really dive into it. So podcasts they really help you get a taste for something. And uh, this guy who's been doing this podcast, he's been doing it for quite some time. And he he basically goes to the start of um, the origin of philosophy, and then just goes through the first philosophers and how philosophy uh, changed, evolved uh, through the, through the centuries. And uh, for me, it's it's really interesting to see or go through like all these different um, mind. Yeah, well, it, it's 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 probably better to like if you're interested in philosophy, it's a perfect way to get introduced to it because uh, he, he put uh, puts it in in a very uh, yeah a very it's easy listening philosophy <laughs> yeah um, but then it's just uh, yeah um, I, I read the, the it's, it's always the the game game pages like, uh, all the different sites uh, Game biz industry, Kama Sutra, and all those pages. I, I try to stay on top of what's going on. But actually, most of my information about games that are happening come from either with with uh, inside the company or from like App Annie and uh, Game Refinery and and uh, those type of apps where you or yeah, it's mostly someone tells you something's being soft launched somewhere, so you're you're checking those things out. But movies—that's one of the, one of the things that I really enjoy. Uh, and these past few months have been hard for us movie people. Yeah, <laughs> I can't even remember one movie. Like it's Tenet, and I don't know if Tenet. Yeah, Tenet is out, but yeah. Cool. Um... Yeah, well, final question here as we kind of wrap up. Um, how can people contact you if they have, you know, questions or just want to thank you or anything else? Um, good question. Um, I'm trying to think about the best way to contact me, but uh, I don't really use Twitter. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm, I'm very poor at Twitter. I just, <laughs> <laughs> I, I've never understood it. Um, I guess it's something with with my with the wiring of my, my brain. So I I would just say like if uh, like LinkedIn or something like just yeah. uh, just uh, connect with me on LinkedIn and and I'll get in touch. Cool. Well, I I definitely recommend folks that uh, want to connect. You know, reach out on LinkedIn. Henrik is a, a fantastic guy, um, and I really appreciate you taking the time and, and sharing all this really great information with us. Um, so Henrik, thanks again. Um, we'll definitely talk soon. Yeah. Thank you.